If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is how I record my podcast and it has everything that I need. I've edited and added music all right from my phone. So get started with Anchor today. Hello everyone, this is Crystal and welcome back to All Things Dark Podcast. Today, I'm gonna do something different for you. I'm gonna tell you about a UFO case, but not just any UFO case. I'm gonna tell you about Betty and Bernie Hill. This event that happened to them not only changed their lives, but changed the way we think about UFOs, aliens, and abductions to this day. When their story became public, it rocked the nation and is still regarded as the most well-documented UFO case in history. So come along with me as I tell you the unbelievable but true story of Betty and Barney Hill. Barney was of African descent. He was born in 1922 in Virginia. As a young man, he enlisted in the United States Army He fought in World War II and was given an honorable discharge when the war ended. He then enrolled in Temple University. Later, he would meet and marry a woman named Ruby Horn and have two children with her. That marriage didn't last and they went their separate ways and Barney would then marry a woman named Betty. Betty was born Eunice Elizabeth Barrett and anyone who knew her affectionately called her Betty. She was a few few years older than Barney. She was born in 1919, but they had very similar childhoods, just normal, quiet childhoods. They didn't really stand out against any of their peers. They were just normal children. Betty had a master's degree in social work, and she would eventually become the supervisor of her local welfare department. They moved to her hometown of New Hampshire a little while after they were married. Barney worked as a postal worker. He worked in in Boston and he would drive up to 60 miles a day to get to his job for his night shift. These two are said to have been madly in love. Even as the years went on, they were inseparable. Everyone who knew them said they were just the most perfect couple thing is they were an interracial couple in the 60s when marriages like theirs were not widely accepted so they had some treacherous territory to to get through with that and because of that they were both very very active in the civil rights movement they were both members of the NAACP and Barney was actually given several awards for his work within the civil rights movement He was even honored by the governor of New Hampshire. He was invited to the inauguration of Lyndon B. Johnson in 63. This just shows you how well loved and known and liked they were within their community. 
The Hills were always given, giving and giving and giving. Bar Barney was a leader within the civil rights movement. Betty was a leader and a voice for children who didn't have a voice of their own. They never complained and they never asked for anything in return. So one day they decided that they deserved some time off and it was really well-deserved time off. So they spontaneously decided, we're going to go to Niagara Falls and we're going to take a the route through Canada, Montreal, so that we can see a little bit of Canada, go see Niagara Falls, and just have some time to ourselves. This would be a three-day trip, so it wasn't a relatively long trip, but it was so spontaneous, they didn't even take money out of the bank. They just put themselves in the car and off they went. It's not really written what they did or saw during their trip. We do know that they had a good time, but their story picks back up the last night of that trip. They were leaving a diner in Overlook, New Hampshire around 10. And the plan was to be back in Port Smith by two. However, that's not what was gonna happen. As they were driving, they noticed a bright light in the sky. And after a while, they thought, well, this light is following us. Barney, being a veteran and a plane enthusiast, really didn't think much of the light. He told Betty it was probably just a commercial plane or a helicopter. But then he started to think, that light is really close to us and it's not making any noise. If it were a plane or a helicopter, we would hear some kind of noise. So it's probably just a satellite that had gone off course. They were driving and watching this light as they went through the White Mountains and it would disappear behind the tree line every now and then, but then come right back. And eventually it got the better of them and they pulled over and decided to investigate this light. Betty was looking through a pair of binoculars and she saw that this light was actually an object spinning in the air. Barney was starting to grow concerned. He did not believe in anything extraterrestrial whatsoever, but he did have to admit to Betty that he had no guess of what this could be. They decided to get back in the car and drive again, and they did until they reached Route 3. At this point, the light was no more than 100 feet above their car. Without warning, Barney stopped the car grabbed the gun he kept in there and jumped out, running into the road. What he saw could only be described as something as big as a jet, but as flat as a pancake. The object had a bank of windows, and behind those windows were gray beings and black, shiny uniforms. Barney heard a voice telling him not to put down his binoculars. He attempted to raise his pistol and found out that he couldn't. Barney said at this point he thought to himself, Oh God, we're going to be captured. He ran screaming to the car and sped away from the ship as fast as he could. As they were driving, Betty was looking to see if they could lose the light, but they were never able to. It stayed right on top of them. Eventually, they noticed there was this beeping sound coming from the trunk area of their car, and they were starting to feel drowsy. That's how they explained it, that they were just getting so tired and their eyes were so heavy. 
until they finally lost consciousness altogether. When they finally came back and got home, they realized it was five o'clock in the morning. Betty looked at the car and saw that there were shiny circles on the trunk and she had this fear that this was radiation, that they were exposed to radiation somehow and she started to freak out a little bit. They felt dirty and on edge and had so much tension in their bodies they couldn't relax. They took showers and that's when they noticed that Barney's shoes had been scuffed, Betty's dress torn, her earrings were missing, and the watches they were wearing had stopped working. A week later, Betty started to have very vivid dreams of being stopped at a roadblock and being taken into the craft. This dream lasted about five days and then just suddenly stopped. Betty couldn't shake the feeling that something important happened to them. And so she started going to the library to try to research everything she could find to get answers. She was reading about the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, which was a civilian group. But she also made an important decision at this point. She reported their experience to the Air Force who handed it over to Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book, of, as you all know, was researching UFO phenomena all over the country at this point. So this must have seemed like a big deal to the Air Force if they handed it over to them. They came out and they got Betty's dress and she told them there's this pink substance on it, so maybe that's a clue. They took Barney's shoes and they looked at and took pictures of the car. A week after that, Betty wrote to Major Donald and she told him, we stopped our car and got, to, and got out to observe it more closely. We stopped again a little while later as it hovered in front of us. It appeared to be pancaking shape, rings with windows in the front, and through those windows we could see bright blue white light. Suddenly, two red lights appeared on each side. By the time, by that time, my husband was standing in the road, watching it closely. He saw wings protrude on each side, and the red lights were on the wingtips. As it glided closer, he was able to see inside the object, but not too closely. Barney was using binoculars at this time. He did see several figures scurrying about as they were making, as if they were making hurried type preparation. One figure was observing us from the windows. From this distance, the figures appeared to be the size of a pencil and seemed to be dressed in some type of shiny black uniform. At this point, my husband became shocked and got back in the car in a hysteric condition. He was laughing and repeating, they're going to capture us. He started driving the car. The motor had been left running. As we started to move, we heard several buzzing or beeping sounds, which seemed to be striking the trunk of the car. Betty went into great detail as you heard about what happened. She believed that they'd seen these, these beings and this ship. But Barney was skeptical and he told her there's no such thing as flying saucers. End of discussion. But as 61 passed into 62, he found himself going back with Betty 
to Route 3. They were looking for the site of their experience. They were hoping to find something that would give them a clue about what happened to them that night. But it was futile. They never found the site or anything that showed them that it had actually happened. Barney had been having trouble with ulcers before the event, but they had worsened since then. It had gotten so bad that Betty actually took time off to take care of him at one point. He was just getting worse and worse. And conventional therapy wasn't helping. They were both having disturbing dreams and bad anxiety at this point. So they decided to go to a doctor named Dr. Benjamin Simon. He decided to help them and he was giving them hypnosis sessions. And after months of these sessions, they finally began to put the pieces together of what happened to them. According to the hills, the UFO landed on their car as they were racing through the mountain roads and put them to sleep. Then the gray beings they had seen earlier took them up a long ramp into the cracked. They separated the hills and they were each tested. They were taken into rooms and told to climb onto these metal tables and to remove all of their clothing. After they had done that, the beings plucked their hairs, took clippings from their nails, and scraped off parts of their skin. The samples were placed on something that resembled a glass slide, and then the beings probed needles into their arms, legs, and heads. Betty recalled having a needle that was about four to six inches in length inserted into her stomach. They were giving her a pregnancy test and she recalled that it caused her great pain, that she cried out in pain. After the examination ended, the beings had left Betty's room, but they came back in excited. They discovered that Barney's teeth could be removed. Betty laughed and told them, that's what happens when human beings get old. They lose their natural teeth and replace them with fake teeth. Throughout the examinations, both Betty and Barney said that there was a being that seemed to be a leader and he was observing from the side of the room. A little while later, Betty was alone with the leader and she asked where the ship was going. And she said, I don't know very much about the universe. The being joked with her saying, if you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. Under hypnosis, she was able to replicate the star map shown to her while on the ship. Years later, a woman named Marjorie Fish attempted to recreate Betty's recreation and said, I've concluded that the beings came from the star system Zeta Reticuli. So, during this time, the Hills were going through these sessions and it was in 1965 that a newspaper picked up their story. After that, everything changed. This quiet, unsuspecting couple became celebrities almost every night and they were giving TV interviews, radio interviews, talking to different organizations. Their lives changed. and. During some of these interviews, Betty made statements that I'll get to a little later that I thought was kind of weird, but for now, I wanna kind of focus on Barney and some of his sessions that were played on TV 
or were played as audio files. In one session, he's actually heard saying, my wife and I were driving along Route 3 when we saw what looked like a bright star in the heavens, and surprisingly, it began coming in my direction. I could see what I thought was approximately 9 to 11 men looking down through this series of windows. Well, this was too much for me, and I made a hasty retreat to the car, screaming to my wife that they had seen us. That they had seen us. My God, they're going to capture us. And in one of the first recordings of these sessions, the following exchange happened between Dr. Simon and Barney. The doctor said, I want you to tell me in full detail all your experiences, all of your thoughts, and all of your feelings, beginning with the time you left the hotel. So Barney said, we arrived at night. It was October 4th. I'm sorry, it was it was October 18th, September 18th, the night before the sighting at this hotel, and I did not notice any name in the motel. The thoughts were going through my mind, and they were, what if they accept me? What if they won't accept me? Is, are they going to tell me they're filled up? And I wonder if they're going to do this because I was prejudiced. The doctor said, because you were prejudiced? Barney replied, because they were prejudiced. Because you were a Negro? And Barney said, because I am a Negro, I park and we go in. There's a dark-skinned woman in there. I think dark by Caucasian standards. And I wonder, is she a light-skinned Negro or is she Indian or is she white? And she waits on us and she's not very friendly. And I notice this and others are there and they're looking at me and Betty. And they seem to be friendly or pleased. But this dark-skinned woman doesn't. I wonder then more so, is she Negro? And I wonder... I, if she is wondering if I know she is Negro and is passing for white. It's now 10 p.m. on September 19th. The hills are about to begin their drive down Route 3. But before he continues his story, Barney's thoughts keep going back and forth to a restaurant they visited earlier in Canada. He said as he and Betty walked in, everyone on the street passing by us looked at us and we go into this restaurant and all eyes are on us. And I see what I call the stereotypical hoodlum, the ducktail haircut, and I immediately go on guard against hostility. But Barney begins to rebuke himself. I should get a hold of myself and not think everyone was hostile, or rather suspect hostility, when there was no hostility there. The people were friendly. Why I was ready to be defensive just because these boys were wearing this style of haircut? He holds himself to a very high standard, not just of conduct, but of thought. Why was he ready to be so defensive? You know, Barney's, Barney's thoughts seem to go back and forth between the alien event and fear of hostility toward him and Betty for being an interracial couple. And I've often thought, did that play into his feelings of what happened to them that night? Did he associate being discriminated against with these aliens? Did he feel they were discriminating against him and Betty? So in August of 1955, a little over six years before the Hill took their drive in Canada, a black teenager from Chicago named Emmett Till had been lynched in Mississippi for supposedly making a suggestive remark to a white woman. Granted, New Hampshire definitely was not Mississippi, 
But the message of the country at that time was that a black man who took too much liberty would be harmed. So I think this played a lot into Barney's thinking. He's black and he's with the white woman and people are being lynched and murdered and maybe I'm being too liberal right now. And this really played out in his therapy sessions. You could hear his fear, sense his fear in these sessions. And I really think that he took real world events and put them into these interactions with the aliens. I, I, I think that they just mixed and muddled with, into his brain and memories of that night. Betty later on said in an interview with 14 times, the real abductions are totally different from what you see on TV. UFO people now, I don't say aliens, are people. They're different from us. There are certain fundamental physical characteristics which are different. And if a person had really seen one, they'd know it. And the real abductees have never had any need for therapy. And not only that, but every one of them has had changes in their lives of benefit to them. It's been a very positive experience. Now, I added that interview with Betty right after Barney's hypnosis therapy session because he's terrified and he's talking about the aliens and then talking about prejudice and then going back to the aliens and then talking about prejudice all through these sessions. And then you have Betty giving an interview with the magazine talking about how it's a positive experience, but she also mentioned that real abductees don't need therapy and yet her and Barney are actively getting help to remember their, their memories of that night and I understand she's talking about they don't need therapy in the form of it scared them or it had a negative impact on their life I just think it's funny that she would say that considering how absolutely terrified her husband was how her husband was deteriorating physically and mentally from this and yet she's talking about how it was a great benefit and how the experience was positive it's just a very vast difference between how Betty saw the events of that night and how Barney saw the events of that night. And the fear in his voice when you listen to these sessions actually makes your blood run cold. It just, he's so terrified. It's enough to make you want to cry, honestly. And so that's how the sessions went. Betty would remember something, but she was a lot more calmer than Barney. And Barney would remember something and he would freak out. And listening to them just really gives you an inside look on how each of them handled this experience. And they, I think they handled the investigation into their experience differently as well. Betty was willing to answer questions and willing to, to try to get answers where Barney was a little more reserved and didn't want to accept that what happened to them actually happened. And I think as seen with the therapy sessions, it really played into the fact that he was a black man in a world where he wasn't truly accepted because of his skin color. And seeing the different dynamic there is very interesting when you study this case.
And as I said earlier, this case blew up. The hills were known everywhere by that point. And they had become so popular that a movie was actually made about them starring James Earl Jones. It was called The UFO Incident. They were Hollywood now. And their niece actually wrote a book about them with Stan Friedman. Her niece's name is Kathleen Martin. And they wrote, Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, the true story of the world's first documented alien abduction. So the Hills are now, like I said, Hollywood celebrities. They're having a movie made about them. Their niece later on writes a book about them. Everyone's talking about them. And of course, everyone has opinions about if they told the truth or if they were lying. And that comes with everything. Someone says they see a UFO, there's somebody who's going to call them crazy, and then there's someone else who's going to want to know all the details because they believe them. And this wasn't just happening with everyday people on the street. This is also happening within the UFO community and even their own doctor. For his part, Dr. Simon said he never felt that the Hills were completely telling the truth. He concluded Betty had dreamed the abduction and Barney had absorbed her story, especially since many of the most vivid details matched descriptions of dreams Betty had jotted down after the event. I believe in the honesty of these people, I do, but I think that she's relying on her dreams and Barney's absorbing them, he said on his 70s radio program. But again, like I said, there's people who believe them. For the most part, I think a lot of people believe them. And an article from history.com reads that the NICAP's scientific advisor had cross-examined the couple and found their account credible. The Air Force, of course, Project Blue Book, dismissed the story and determined that the craft could be explained by natural causes, even hinting that the couple had seen the planet Jupiter and mistaked it for a starship. So, I mean, as you can see, it's typical of every UFO story. People believe them, others don't. And of course, the military is going to be like, yeah, that didn't happen. That's just how it goes with these stories. But Betty and Barney stuck by their story and they never changed it and they were steadfast in what they said and they swore that they saw and heard and witnessed and experienced everything that they claimed. And so that kind of leads precedence to, to their story because we're talking years and years and years and they stuck by their story. Before the Hills experience, Aliens were portrayed as these nice creatures. When you saw movies about them or shows about them, they were, they were shown as these friendly creatures seeking to know humans and possibly becoming their friends. However, after the Hills shared their experience, alien abductions became more widely known for their mystery and their intrigue. Alien movies and Shows like The X-Files included medical examinations by aliens and missing time when they were never included before. And sci-fi novels started writing about aliens that were a little bit more scary and even edgier. And though the hills are not with us any longer, their memory and story lives on and they are 
forever known as the people who began the alien abduction phenomena. Their story was not the first about alien abduction. It's just the one that captured the nation's attention. And until the day she passed, Betty researched UFOs and and made sure she helped pioneer research within that field. She really, really did her best to normalize their experience. I think not for clout, really, but because she didn't want others to to be ridiculed the way that her Barney had in some circles. And so she dedicated her life to making sure that people believed people when they said that they had these experiences. And I have to applaud her because I've read some awful things about her and I've read some awful things about her niece, but she stayed steadfast. And I think it's funny that the people who say the hills lied mostly target Betty and I think that's because she was really forefront where Barney was in the background and they feel that Betty led Barney down this path to say that this happened and that she actually was a UFO enthusiast before any of this happened and she just wanted attention and whether you believe them or not it's a really fascinating story and it really brings us into the human condition and how people think and how they react to certain situations. As I said, Betty reacted positively to it and she embraced it. Barney ran from it and tried to hide from it. And that really gives us a look into how people deal with events that they cannot explain. And I think that's one of the reasons that the hills have endured for so long is because people are just as fascinated with their reactions as the story itself. And because of that, Betty and Barney Hill are going to go down in infamy and never be forgotten. In 2021, we're now talking about the military saying that they cannot for sure say UFOs are not of alien nature. I'm pretty sure the Hills would not be surprised by this development. And I think it's partly because of their insistence that what happened to them was real, that we have gotten to this point. And I know people are going to be like, no, it's the research of the government. And it's the insistence of all the people within the UFO community. And I agree with that. But I really think the Hills helped start this movement and their insistence that what happened to them was real has really pushed UFOs from the 60s on into mainstream. I think without the hills, we would still have a few more skeptics out there, but we are moving closer and closer every day to figuring out if there really is life out there or not. And I will end with that. Do you believe that the hills were telling the truth? Do you believe that aliens are observing us from spaceships? Or do you think that they were just trying to get attention and that we're the only life in the universe? I'll leave you with those thoughts and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.